the Bible. It's the Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. This sacred book is living and active and contains all that's needed for life and godliness. Stay with American Family Radio for the next hour as we study God's Word and take your Bible questions. Welcome to Exploring the Word. One of the greatest phrases that you'll ever read in the Bible is found today in John 19. It is finished. Now, in the English language, that's three words. But in the Greek language, it was one word. And you could, and it was looked at in two th- ways about a portrait being finished, about a job being finished. But the best one was a bill being paid, and it was paid in full. This is Bert Harper along with Dr. Alex McFarlane, and it's our joy today to be with you as we go through the book of John. We're in chapter 19, and it's verse 30, and uh, we've been talking about the sayings of Jesus on the cross, and three of them are found here in the Gospel of John. And so, Alex, when we look at this chapter 19 about Jesus on the cross and him uttering this word, it is finished. What a victory word it is. It is a word of great victorious work, a a work completed. Uh, He had come to do the will of the Father, and guess what? He did it. Amen. Amen. You know, Bert, it occurred to me that we've probably spent as much time on this one chapter as we've ever spent in a single chapter, John 19. Uh, But this very famous verse, it is finished, 1830. Uh, Bill Gaither wrote a song, It Is Finished, and Jesus Has Won. Our sin debt has been paid. It is, and today we're praying that that's happened in your life, that the work that Jesus did on the cross paid the price for your sins to be forgiven, and what a price it was. The book of Hebrews makes it plain that the blood of goats and bulls, could n- sheep, could not wash away sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And we're praying that you who are listening today has had that experience of forgiveness that's only found in Christ Jesus. And he paid the price. What a price he paid. And it was a victorious price. Again, let me read this. This is after he had received uh, some, on a sponge sour wine with, with hyssop. And uh, then he says, it is finished. And bowing his head... He gave up his spirit. Now, Alex, I know you may want to say more about it is finished. I've got a whole sermon on just that one phrase, and we could do that here. But notice what it says. He gave up his spirit. Jesus on the cross with him being nailed by his hands and his feet to the cross with the centurion overseeing it with all those Roman soldiers, with the chief priest and all the scribes looking on, guess who's in control? Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? That's a blessing to me to know that God's in control when even it looks like the darkest, most difficult times. Well, well, yes. And you know, Bert, um, on, on this show, we read scripture and we comment on scripture and very often we, you know, engage in a lot of theological talk. And a, a phrase that theologians use is, is the word positional salvation or positional sanctification. And, you know, when Jesus cried out, it is finished. I mean, so much is in that statement. When he paid our sin debt on the cross, the atonement. All right. For one thing, all of the requirements of the law were fulfilled. So trying to keep the law, that was finished, you know. The separation of man from God, the creator, Adam and Eve sinned. And uh, the Bible tells us that uh, sin passed on all men and death because of Adam. Well, that was finished. That's been resolved now. And then, do you know, the enmity between God and man, uh, the curtain was torn and that was taken out of the way. And so when you put your faith in Jesus, and uh, I know most people listening know this, but positionally, in the eyes of God, you are declared righteous. And you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. We, we couldn't earn it. But if we admit that we're a sinner, we say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. 
and we believe Jesus, the Son of God, paid our sin debt on the cross, we say, Lord, I'm accepting what you did. I'm trusting nothing else but you, Jesus. Save my soul. Then it's finished. We are, we are set free. We are redeemed, reunited with God. We are saved. And that cry of it is finished, it can be our victory cry too, can it? Bert? It really can. I, I just wrote this down as you were speaking. The finished work of Jesus begins a work in us. Now, that's the way Amen. it begins. It, it's the beginning. When he finished his work, it prepared a way to begin God's work in and through us. And and that's what he's doing. We're praying that he's doing that in the lives of the listeners. There may be some people there. They've trusted Christ, but yet they're wandering. Listen, God is doing a good work in your life. Trust him. Walk in him. Uh, let him fill you with his spirit that you might do all the work that God has for you. So Jesus says it is finished. He bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. And uh, that began a whole series of things, and I want to share that with you. It says, therefore, because it was the day of preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Now, these are the Jews. These are the scribes. This is a high priest. So they were going to him. So then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who was crucified with Christ. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now, Alex, we, we go to verse 34 in a moment. Th they didn't know that they were fulfilling Scripture, did they? <laughs> oh, I know. They, they wouldn't have known that. And, you know, it's always struck me as ironic that— um, you know, they had uh, killed the Son of God, but they didn't want to violate the law by uh, handling a dead oh. body on, on a Sabbath. You yeah. know, it, it's it's like, I, I don't have an adequate comparison, but it, it was like, we've, we're okay that we did the worst thing, but let yeah. us not offend in one of the minor things. Yeah, and, and that was them. They And they were consistent. Let me say this. They were consistent because Jesus said, you have kept these things, uh, you know, the little things, but you haven't kept the weightier matters of the law. The that, weightier matters of the law. That They ignored that. They ignored what was on the inside of man. You remember what uh, Samuel said when he went to crown David in Bethlehem, the son of Jesse? Uh, he said, you know, you look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Now, Alex, I want to say that that, is consistent from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Now, he's going to look at the heart. Now, what we do on the outside does matter, but if our inside, the Bible, Jesus used that as an illustration against these people. He said, on the outside, you're like whited sepulchers, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. And that was them. They were dead, but they kept up that outward appearance. And and so, Alex, I know my heart goes out to people who are listening, especially when you're in your book of John, chapter 19. Don't let your outward appearance be the mask that other people see. Let them know yeah. that that which is real in you is real, that Jesus Christ lives in you. And so this is the whole idea. These high priests, these Jews that were in command, they had an appearance of godliness, but they denied the power thereof, didn't they? Amen. Amen. Uh, Bert, do you recall the name of a great Christian speaker? Uh, I, I guess he's still traveling and speaking, Jay Strack. Oh, yes. Remember Jay Strack? Yes, yes. Great well, man of God. A, amen. 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 Uh, I heard him. I was a brand new believer, and uh, I heard him give a speech. He came to Greensboro, my hometown, and he said, character is who you are when you think nobody's looking. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that was original with him, but I'm, I mean, I just walked around. I thought that was the greatest observation I'd ever heard. And just like, you know, outward religion, but inwardly your heart is far from God, or you're, you know, externally going through the motions of legalism, but you're not really in love with the Lord Jesus. Uh, that's uh, a conflict of your character. And really, um, the Bible speaks about not only the things we do, but the person we are. 
And, you know, you can't remedy your character. You know, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 says, in Adam all die, but in Jesus you'll be made alive. So there's the positional saving. You're in Christ if you'll believe. But then there's this lifelong process. And Bert, aren't you glad, you just said it well a moment ago, when you begin your walk with Jesus, there's the act of getting saved. But then there's the lifelong journey of growing and growing. And the work of salvation, as you just said, begins a work in you. And I just want to be on record. I thank the Lord that he took Alex McFarlane and said, hey, I'm going to try to make something out of that uh, <laughs> young man. Yeah, amen. Uh, amen, Alex. God, Billy Graham said this. I'll throw it back to you. But Billy Graham said, God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. Amen. A verse came to my mind, Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it in Christ Jesus in his day. Alex, mm. being confident, we're confident. You and I, people ask, how, how do y'all do this radio program? It's because uh, we're confident of God's work in and through us that has happened, that is, it, that is happening, and that will happen. And again, we've talked about this salvation. It is one of redemption. It's secondly of sanctification. And thirdly, one day it will be glorification. So knowing Christ is good. It's eternal life. Uh, it's not just the length. It's also the quality. And so we have that run real time quick before we go to the break. The other thing that the soldiers did when they did saw that Jesus was already dead and did not break his legs and we might talk about why that would kill them when we come back, but I want to go into verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Now, again, <clears throat> he didn't know that he was, uh, uh, you know, doing the prophecy. Fulfilling the yeah, those two, Those soldiers coming by, not breaking his leg, one piercing his side. They had no idea. They were fulfilling prophecy that had been given years and years and years ahead of time. Uh, God and, is, he's an amazing God. That's all I got to say. Well, Bert, do you remember this book called Who Moved the Stone? I believe it was by someone named Frank Morris. I think I, yeah, I know the book. Yes. Well, there, there have been so many great books written. Uh, the Sanhedrin Verdict by Erwin Linton, who was an attorney, argued in front of the Supreme Court. And of course, more recently, the books by Gary Habermas. But the blood and the water coming out, that's a scientific reality they wouldn't have known at the time this was written. And we're going to be back with more to fill that all in. You don't want to miss the next segment of Explore the Word. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Lloyd Austin, U.S. Secretary of Defense. He is the leader and chief executive officer of the U.S. Department of Defense. 2 Samuel 22, verse 3, reminds us of God's protection of his people. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent people you save me. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Lloyd Austin as he leads the Defense Department. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says the very place Christians ought to go to learn to beat Satan often becomes the place where Satan beats them. We'll find out why as we spend two minutes with Tony. He attacks the church through promoting disunity, division, discrimination, racism, classism, culturalism. He wants to split the family of God up because Satan understands something that many Christians don't, and that is God does not work in a context of disunity. There must be harmony in order to see the power of God. So if he can split people up on racial, cultural, or class lines, if he can get people making their first decisions based on their personal heritage rather than based on divine viewpoint, 
then we better learn to get along because we're in a common battle against a common enemy. And one of the reasons that our communities are in disarray is that churches have been kept from coming together and making a distinction between membership and fellowship. Fellowship means if you belong to Jesus Christ, even though we don't dot all of our I's and cross all of our T's alike, we're still spelling the same name, Jesus Christ. And if we're still spelling the same name, if he is the standard, even though we may have idiosyncratic differences, it is incumbent upon us to recognize that our fellowship is in Christ while our membership may be distinct. And so maintaining fellowship without compromising membership becomes a very important purpose of the church. Learn how to experience the victory Jesus has already won for you. Get a copy of Tony's book, Warfare, and find the new hope you've been praying for. Check it out online at TonyEvans.org. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. Welcome back. If you listen to those song lyrics, it says, He's coming back again. He conquered death. You know, it it reminds me of Revelation 21, verse 5, that says, you know, one day the entire world and the universe will be made brand new. The, The very same Jesus who conquered the grave, the very same Jesus who stands ready to forgive and restore you today, he says, one day I'm going to make all things brand new. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, Alex, you're preaching, and, brother. <laughs> amen. We're going to be there. Amen. Uh, every believer. And so we want you to be there, dear ones. And as we often say, the Lord Jesus, he's as close by as a prayer. Call on him today. Listen, if you want to watch, as in addition to listening, you can go to streaming.afa.net. That's streaming.afa.net. Or you can go on Facebook, Exploring the Word Facebook. And uh, listen, we're getting people who are watching and listening at the same time. So we're glad for that. So, Alex, we're here and we talked about it. And I want you, you mentioned it, but we want to fill it in a little bit. The reason they would break their legs, if they were mm. uh, on the cross and they were still breathing, if they broke their legs, that means they could not push up. Uh, so that they could breathe. And get a breath. This would yes. cause their body to sag down so much and their lungs would be filled and they could not help fill them because they couldn't relieve themselves by, you know, standing or putting pressure on their legs. So that's the way they yeah. would die. And then what is the significance? Let's go over that again. You said it well, but I think it was in the latter part. The significance of blood and water coming out. Uh, right. you know, uh, there's the, there's the, I would say the forgiveness and there's the cleansing. Uh, but I, I believe that does show death there with, oh, with both goodness. of them coming out, doesn't it? Yeah. And you know, Bert, I've, I've shared this before on the program, but I'll, I'll briefly reiterate the heart and the lungs, uh, are in what are called plural fluids and, you know, inflammation of the lungs, they used to call it pleurisy. Uh, well, the pericardium, which is a sac around the heart, has this water, this pleural fluid. And Gary Habermas, and I, I mentioned his name, there have been many great writers on the resurrection. I think about Lee Strobel and J. Warner Wallace and Michael Lycona and Josh McDowell, of course. And another name that many of you will know is William Lane Craig, Bill Craig, who is a great defender of the resurrection. But Probably the the greatest living scholar on the resurrection in our lifetime is Gary Habermas. And he's written extensively that, you know, at the time the Gospels were written, when the um, soldiers came, and this is verse 34, they pierced his side. Notice they had pierced his hands and his feet, um, but they pierced his side and out forth. I love how the King James says, forthwith came there out blood 
and water. And what that means is that the pericardium was breached, and this would have meant instant death. Now, remember, he had yielded up his spirit, and uh, that was verse 30. But even if he hadn't have died already, which he was, he was dead, he expired, he willfully yielded up his spirit. But the breaching of the pericardium, that would have killed him. And Burke, uh, there was a theory back in the 1950s called the swoon Right. Theory, S-W-O-O-N. Uh, and, and what it was, like many of these what we call naturalistic theories, they want to try to explain how Jesus came out of the grave, but not under a supernatural resurrection. And, and some said, well, maybe he, he wasn't dead. He faked his death. Uh, well, for one thing, crucifixion was not survivable. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus says that in all of the, the thousands of Roman crucifixions, only one person ever came down alive from a cross, and they died within 24 hours. So even if somehow Jesus had not been fully expired, um, the, the spear in the side would have done it. So he was dead for sure. And 38 and following, I want to talk about the burial. But Bert, I got to ask you a question, and, and I don't really have uh, this in my mind all worked out, but remember Eve was created from Adam's side, a rib uh, was taken and the human race, uh, we're united, male and female, we're different in gender, but we're equal in worth and personhood. And remember how uh, Christ is making all things new. And, you know, as important as the forgiveness of sin is, Bert, I would submit in the atonement on Mount Calvary, uh, really, there's not only the redemption of fallen humanity, but really the, the quote, making all things new, the restoration of all things. Christ in his atonement purchased ultimately, and it's not fully realized here yet, but ultimately the redemption and restoration of this universe um, that's what he was doing on that cross, wasn't he? It really was, Alex. And if you remember the earthquake, uh, you've already mentioned about the veil being torn from top to bottom. We also, one of the phenomenons was those that would come out of the grave and walk around Jerusalem for some time. Uh, again, that is a picture of the renewal, all things being new, made new. And that's that was a picture of that. That was a kind of a, a, a scope of what would happen in the future when all things are made new. And let me say this, you were talking about the blood and the water and the lungs. I could not help but think when you were sharing that, uh, the young man, the 24-year-old young man, Damar Hamlin, that uh, his heart quit beating on the football field and they resuscitated him. And he stayed there in Cincinnati in the, in the hospital. Guess what they had to do in order to help him live? They had to put him in the prone position so that the lungs would not be so filled with liquid and that the wow. breathing would take place. It's ex when you were talking about that, that was just an experience this week where had they not been able to put him in a prone position, that those that would have taken place even in his life, even after they restored his heartbeat. And so Amen. this is the death of Christ, not a swoon theory. The other theory was that the apostles would steal his body. That was so mm -hmm. foolish because they didn't even believe in the resurrection at this time. And, right. and the only one that was there was John. The others were hiding. And so, yes, Jesus did die, and Jesus was buried, and Jesus did rise again. Now, you wanted to get to the burial. and well, we, Go ahead. Go ahead. If you well, and, and I was going to say, and, and I won't belabor this point, but I just think it's wonderful that Jesus, the second Adam, his side was pierced. And, and the first Adam, his side was breached as well. You know, a rib was taken from Adam's side. Now, I can't say I fully know all of the uh, import of that. But let me say, just as uh, Eve came from the, the side of the first Adam, the, the side of the second Adam was pierced as well. And he is making all things new. He is. Hallelujah. Verses 38 through 42, and we'll finish that up today. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. 
So he came and took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to see Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pounds. Now, let's talk about this. Jesus, a secret disciple. Now, I honestly believe he had made his known, but God, I believe, had him in secret so he could, along with Nicodemus, get the body of Jesus off the cross. Because had they not come, Joseph and Nicodemus, to claim that body, what would have happened? The Roman soldiers would have discarded it. The the scribes and Pharisees, what they'd have done with it, would have done the same thing. So this burial, don't, uh, don't make it insignificant. It is part of God's plan as well. That is so significant because if they would have just discarded the body, they wouldn't have known where the tomb was. If they'd have just discarded the body and thrown it away, they couldn't do anything. It would be mixed up with other bodies. But they take Jesus' body, put it in a particular tomb at a particular place at a particular time. Now, Alex, how important is that? Well, very, very important because, you know, in uh, verse 37, it said, uh, another scripture saith, they look on him who they pierced. And all of these things that he would be buried in a grave where no man had been laid and he, he would make his grave with the wicked. All of this was the fulfillment of prophecy, wasn't it? It really was. And so Joseph is is a significant man. He was wealthy, so he had the capacity to buy all the ointments that was needed. He was a man in authority, so he had authority to go to Pilate and make this request and it be fulfilled. So Jesus, in his death, was in control. Even after his death, God is in control, and he has this man ready to go along with Nicodemus, Notice it's two of them. Uh, one had to probably stay there and guard the body of Jesus to keep those Roman soldiers or, or the high priest from desecrating it any more than it was. And he and Nicodemus was there while uh, Arm, Joseph of Arimathea went to see Pilate. Now, here's I wanted to say. This seems like it wasn't just a quick decision. It sounds like Joseph and Nicodemus knew something about the death and resurrection of Christ. Would you agree or is that yeah. foreign to you? No, no, I, I think so. And probably because of not only the teachings of, of Christ, but also their intimate knowledge of the scriptures. That's and right. I think, don't you think about like Job 19, uh, 25 and 26, where Job says, I know that my redeemer liveth. He will stand on the earth at the last day. And though, Worms destroy my body, yet in my flesh I will see God. And and I realize, you know, we, it's like the last verse of Hebrews chapter 11. All of these saints of old, having seen the promises vaguely and far off. I mean, we know clearly, we can read and, and we, in retrospect, we can kind of connect the dots, you know. But I think Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, they they knew the scriptures and and maybe it was also just a supernatural enlightenment from the Holy Spirit. But they, they were anticipating what to do in the burial, following the customs of the Jews. But also, I think they, they knew that resurrection was coming, which we'll see in chapter 20. Exactly. And again, to have those materials of, available that quickly and the capacity to get them there in the, in the tomb— and, and this is significant, too. Joseph, uh, he, this was his tomb that he had prepared, and it was on the outskirts of Jerusalem. And I read the article that most of the time they would have burial on the inside, but not Joseph. So this took some preparation, and I could not help but think of John chapter 14 when Jesus said to his disciples, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you can come also here God had prepared a place for Jesus' body to be lain and so that the victorious resurrection could be realized and, I, I would say, celebrated, brother. Amen. And, you know, uh, just as at his birth he was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, in John 1940 he was wrapped in linen cloths and laid in a sepulcher. Yeah. Um, it's just a perfect 
bookend almost, you know, supernatural entry into the world, the virgin birth, supernatural exit from the world, the resurrection and ascension. Um, it's the greatest story ever told. It's the truest story ever told. And it's God's story. And for everyone who believe in Jesus, it too can be your story. Verse 41, there's two words that I want to make a big deal out of. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. The place. I, I just want to tell you, you can do a study all the way through the Old Testament, into the New Testament, even into the Revelation, and find out geography is very important to God. The place. You remember oh, what no, he said about yeah. Elijah? Go to the brook Cherith. Go there, and there I will feed you. Yeah. Go up to the widow's house. There I will feed you. Alex, uh, you're a traveling man, you're, even today. Uh, you are, and we talk about it here at headquarters. Where's Alex today? He's on the road, in the huh. air somewhere. But it's important to bit. be where God wants you, where God wants you. And here is the place, it says, in that place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Again, significant. And then the last verse of chapter 19. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation for the tomb was nearby. Timing mm -hmm. and location. Those two yeah. things are vital here at Calvary and at the tomb. They're still yes. vital today in our lives. The place and location. You're always catching a plane, so you've got to know where to go and where you're going, and you got to know the time frame, don't you? You really do. You really do. And Bert, you know, in verse 41, it says, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden, a new sepulcher wherein no man had ever been laid. Isn't it something that the fall began in a garden and our redemption took place in a garden? Amen. Isn't that something? It is. Uh, I mean, but then I want to say one more thing in verse 42. We're concluding John chapter 19. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, when we come back, we're going to take questions. The number, if you want to get in the line and call up with your Bible question, the number is 888-589-8840. says um, they laid Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day. Uh, it was no longer Jesus's Passover or preparation. It, it was finished, paid for. So the, the religious rituals went on, but the debt had already been paid. It wasn't even real. The, the religion wasn't necessary anymore, only the faith in the Savior. So let's go back to verse 30. Paid in full, it is finished. I have completed the work that the Father has sent me to do. That's our Savior. That's Jesus. Would he, you let him complete the work in your life? We're going to take phone calls. That number, 888 589-8840. When you hear this, this is American Family News. You know what follows is the truth. Your news from a Christian perspective. Hundreds of teachers are going to have to walk into that school building and they are forced to swallow political ideology that in many cases violates their very faith and conscience. If you miss it at the top of the hour, American Family News podcasts are available at AFN.net and sign up for our daily news brief at AFN.net. Hannah's Heart, a half-hour program specifically designed to encourage Christian couples walking through infertility and miscarriage. This is not a show that's going to promise you a certain outcome, but this is a show that says however God answers your cry, we know that He's enough. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White each Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. You can find the podcast at AFR.net. In a world where no one can tell us no. To this day, every human being born on this planet is the product of a male and a female. That's the way God set it up. God created us in His image. A place where Facebook and YouTube have no control. I think the command in Scripture relative to men and women is not mainly women sit down, but men stand up, act like men, lead as you're supposed to. A place where we can no longer be canceled. When the scripture speaks, God speaks. And if you understand that rightly, then everything else simply falls into place. 
The American Family Association presents the AFA streaming platform. Just visit streaming.afa.net for the latest films, documentaries, and AFA original productions. You'll even find videos from some of your favorite talk shows. All you have to do is create a free account at streaming.afa.net. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Anyone notice a pattern here? Grace, mercy, and love all require truth. It is unloving to conceal or sidestep truth. Often, people avoid truth and use love as a justification, when in reality, their truth aversion is a self-preservation tactic. You cannot claim to love someone and simultaneously affirm them in a lie. The absence of truth nullifies the application of grace. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Psalm 139, 23 through 24. American Family Radio. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. You got pain. He's a pain If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We are talking about the Waymaker, the Chainbreaker, the Risen Lord Jesus, the friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's the subject of every show, really, isn't it, Bert? It really is. What two bumper music we had today. The one uh, about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and second coming, and then the work that Jesus does, the pain taker, the chain breaker. And, and we're praying yeah. that he's done that in your life. We really are. Uh, we, we're not, Alex, it's not the desire for us just people to know more about the Bible. It's for our desire to people to know the God of the Bible. And, and, and it's a means knowing the Bible helps you to know God. And so we, we want that so much. But we've got people calling in. Are you ready to take those phone calls, Alex? Triple eight five eight nine eighty eight forty. That's the phone number. Bring us your Bible question on exploring the Word. Bruce in Tennessee. Hello? Yeah, go ahead, Bruce. Welcome. Okay, I got just a short question. After Jesus came out of the tomb, he told Mary, "Don't touch me. I haven't yet ascended to the Father." Uh, but when he returned to to the room where Thomas was and all disciples, he didn't have any blood. So during that time, did he have to ascend to the Father? to place his, all of his blood on the mercy seat to complete salvation. Bruce, I, I'm one of these. I'm a literalist. In other words, I take the Bible literally uh, as it is given. In other words, when he said, I am the door, it doesn't mean he's a wooden or metal door. It means he's the passageway. I really do believe that Jesus did ascend to do that. And Alex, uh, with him, you remember the two on the road to Emmaus? He could be with them in one minute and the next minute be back in Jerusalem. So there was no problem for him making that journey up to the third heaven to put the blood on the mercy seat and then coming back, was it? Yeah, you know, um, it's been said that in our glorified body, uh, like Jesus, we would be able to travel at the speed of thought. So, you know, having risen from the dead, uh, you know, you're right. He could get up to the third heaven, to the the realm of uh, God's throne and back to earth in just a blink. But in verse 17 there of John 20, it's interesting. Uh, and those of you that are into words um, nowadays, you know how, Bert, a laptop computer will have uh, a touchpad, little uh, touch mouse on a laptop where you can uh, touch it. And the word they use is haptic, H-A-P-T-I-C. Uh, and they'll say, this or that computer has haptic qualities. And that's the word in the Greek, haptic, where he says, 
touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. It's the word haptic, as in being able to touch something. But really, um, what what it really means is, uh, a lot of people believe is in John 20, 17, um, you know, don't keep clinging to me, for I've not yet, like, I know you're glad to see me, I've risen, but you can't hang on to me physically because I'm going to ascend back to heaven. That, Have you read that? Yeah, in that's exactly right. The, the version that I use, the New King James, matter of fact, it says, do not cling to me. And it has the idea, do not continue to cling to me. It's different now. Yes, I've been with you side by side, but I'm ascending. But don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's not just going to be beside you. He's going to be in you. And those of us that have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we have not been shortchanged by not having Jesus beside us. Uh, I, my personal opinion, uh, it's it's a lot better to have the Holy Spirit in us than Jesus beside us because Jesus said, I've done great things, but when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to even do greater things. So, Alex, yes. uh, the advantage goes to us if there's any advantage. That's my thoughts. But, Bruce, thank exactly. you. Bruce, thank yeah. you. Let's go to Texas and talk to Tom. Welcome, Tom. Yes. Uh, dropping back to the piercing east side, I've been taught in the past and and uh, believe it, too, but I just want to get your guys' take on this. But just like Adam, his bride come from his side. Uh, when Christ was pierced, the blood being the church and the, the water being the Holy Spirit, his bride came from his side at that point. I uh, just wanted to get your guys' take on that. Uh, Tom, mm-hmm. I, Alex, you kind of spoke to that. I don't know if he, you, you know, yeah. I, I don't see anything I, I wrong with that, uh, that thought. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Adam's the first Adam, his bride came from his side and the Jesus, the second Adam, he purchased his bride with his own blood, including the blood from his pierced side. I mean, really, Bert, it is profound. Every detail of God's great redemption story. It, it is so profound, isn't it? It really is. I, I Let me just tell you, we've gone through this, the book of John before i've preached through the book of john at at the church where i was here in cupolo you know verse by verse all the way through it expository through the book of john every time i do this i'm amazed at the details that were in the old testament that is completed in the new Testament. besides the side and all of that it is an amazing thing our god is a god of details and if you don't believe that, look at the DNA in human beings. Look at bees and flowers. God is a God of detail. And the most, he did a great job in creation, but he even did a greater job in redemption, Alex. That's the details of our God. Let's go to Amen. Cody in Arkansas. Welcome, Cody. Hi, thank you for having me. Uh, I called uh, yesterday. I was trying to get in and ask you guys it doesn't seem like we know a lot about Joseph the father of Jesus or dad of Jesus to put it in your terms uh, yesterday what do we know about him and his life while he lived we really don't know except he was a carpenter Uh, we know that he taught Jesus to be a carpenter we know that he was detailed in worship because he would go to Jerusalem and worship and and carry out those uh, very important holy days, Alex. We do know that about him, and he was the father of others because Jesus had half-brothers and half-sisters. So we do know that about Joseph, don't we? Well, and we know that he was a devout man. You know, uh, it talks about the fact that when he might have— been inclined to put Mary away because he was a devout man. You know, he was not going to make a public humiliation of her, but the angel appeared and said that, you know, don't be afraid because it's the son of God. But Matthew one nineteen, and really Matthew chapter one through uh, Matthew two talks about that he was a devout man. He knew how to hear from God. He uh, took G- the baby Jesus to Egypt to spare the genocide of Herod. So 
Bert, let me just say this. This is one of those topics we certainly would like to know more than what the Bible has told us, but we've got to stick with what the Bible has told us. We do. And man, I, I have those questions too. And I, I have wondered. So Cody, uh, thank you for your question. Let's go to Louisiana and talk to Susan. Welcome, Susan. Hi, fellas. I have a question. Uh, actually, it's from John 14. Anywhere from 15 to 20. It's as though when Jesus speaks several times, he puts the cart before the horse. And he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And the Father will love me, love you, and then will send you the Holy Spirit. That seems different from what I've been taught. Okay, well, let me read this, Susan. And Alex, you and I can uh, answer this as, as thoroughly as we can in the time frame. If you love me, keep my commandments. So this love is a relationship. That's the first thing you start off with, Susan. And I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. Now, Alex, when I see that, the first commandment is if you love me. That's the relationship that we need to have. It is a love relationship that leads to obedience, isn't it? It is. And, you know, a, a real summarization of it, almost John 17 could be summarized in 1 John three twenty three, where uh, it says, this is the commandment to believe in the name of the Son of God and to love one another as he commanded. You know, Bert, I was, uh, this is easily... 12, 15 years ago, but I was at a college speaking and a young man said, um, this, this young man asked me, what does God want me to do? And I said, uh, in other words, what is God commanding you to do? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, first John three twenty three, this is his commandment. Believe in Jesus Christ who the father has sent. But then there's, and, and the believing in Jesus is salvation, but then there's the, uh, the koinonia, the fellowship and the, the sanctification, and to love one another as he commanded us. So uh, to the caller's point, um, we look at all of these things. I, I don't think Jesus had the, the the things out of order. You know, there's salvation through belief in Jesus. There's the indwelling Holy Spirit that would be sent at Pentecost. Then there's the fruits of the Spirit, which includes loving one another. John 13, where it says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples. So you know, it's not either or, but both and on all of these things, isn't it, Bert? It really is. And, and I, I know my salvation. Uh, I'll line you, when I got saved as a 12-year-old boy, I got saved. I didn't know later that there was steps in that, that it was, look what he did in sanctification. Look what he did in redemption. And, and so at the beginning, it is just an experience of grace where God comes into your life and then the growth and knowledge of that comes about. So I, I agree with uh, Alex, not the cart before the horse. He starts the relationship in us at that point of salvation, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and he works in all these things, not only to love God, but to love one another. And uh, that's part of what we're doing in walking with him. Thank you, Susan. Let's go to Georgia. Barry, welcome. Welcome. Hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um my question for you it really centers around apologetics when I'm trying to, to speak to young people and they look around at all the things that, that are happening today and are frustrated uh, to see a lot, a lot of things going south. And Romans 1.18 comes to mind. It says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In particular, where it gets stumped a little bit uh, for, for folks is the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. How do you how do you explain that? Okay, I got mm, you from great, heaven. Great, great. It is. Alex, do you think they're thinking only good comes out of heaven and not judgment? This The wrath of God is 
concerning the judgment of God. Alex, take it away. Well, first of all, sir, thank you for working with youth and thank you for being involved in apologetics. And I, I commend you and God will bless it. Isaiah 55 promises that his word will not return void. But um, do you remember in Romans 1, uh, you know, it talks about the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And there's a lot we could talk about that, you know, uh, Psalm 19 talks about creation, points to a creator, and then the word of God is perfect, uh, converting the soul. But prior to that, in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the, the power of God is salvation. And he says, righteousness has been revealed. And Bert, I, I believe that even those who may not have the Bible, they have the witness of their conscience. It's called the moral law. And that's why verse 18 of Romans 1 will segue into that God's judgment is revealed from heaven. And here's the judgment. It says in Romans 1.18, people suppressed known truth. Isn't that something? Yes. Now, one of the big things nowadays, of course, homosexuality, transgenderism, atheism, just every manner of deviancy and unbelief. But I'm going to tell you, even the most liberal, secular, God-denying person that you might hear in the media, in their heart of hearts, they know it. And they know that God is real. We're accountable to God. Even a little bitty child might disobey mom and eat a cookie before supper, and they feel bad about it. Bert, it's not that people aren't aware of God and righteousness and judgment and guilt. We know it. It's just, will we humble ourselves and turn to the Lord and ask forgiveness and then walk in a new direction? And I, I would say this, Barry, uh, God's righteousness brings about judgment. In other words, uh, in my life, because of, of, of God's righteousness and his work in me, he does not treat me as illegitimate, but he disciplines me, which is a type of, uh, we would call it wrath, but it's the discipline of it. It's like when our the three sons that Jan and I had, uh, we disciplined them, but we did it uh, in uh, hopefully in order that they would be right with God and be right with society. But in that, there was some anger involved because he, God made us to walk after him. And if you'll read the rest of Romans, you'll find out they were messing up God's creation from top to bottom. And so God's judgment would come out on them, Alex, hopefully for correction. Isn't that right? You know, G.K. Chesterton said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. <laughs> but... Uh, we're going to pick up on more of this tomorrow on, a, on Fireway Friday. So tell somebody about exploring the Word. But most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. And if at all possible, tune in tomorrow and we'll answer as many questions as we can. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.